Hello, beloved. This is Pastor Steve Castle. I'm so honored that you've chosen to listen to us today. If there's any additional information that you need, please visit our website at www.belovedchurchillinois.com. We thank you that you are continuing to give God an opportunity to minister to your hearts. He has amazing, wonderful plans for your life. We would love to join you on the journey of you finding out the depths of the relationship that you could have with Him. You were created in His image for a beautiful purpose, and He wants to show you that purpose. We continue to believe God with you and for you to accomplish that goal. If you're in the area, please stop by. Remember at Beloved Church, this is the place where you are greatly loved. God bless you. Talk to you soon. This is uh, horrendously going on in our world today. And And you might be thinking that I'm talking specifically about the pandemic, but I'm not. There, are, there is a ton of people that have made an isolation-type lifestyle something that they've embraced, that they've even, that's even been a target for them, that they wanted to get farther and farther away from people and less and less people in their lives. Um, I can give you story after story of people that I know that I love, people that I'm very, very close to, very intimate with, And they are literally looking for reasons to cut more people, cut more people, and cut more people out of their lives. To get down to down to down to down to down to the number of people and the number of, the amount of transparency that they live their lives in. To be more and more isolated, thinking that they're creating a healthy environment. But let me say this. Jesus does his greatest work in intimacy. Jesus does his greatest work in intimacy. And the devil does his greatest work in isolation. The devil does his greatest works in isolation. And I hope that drills down on the inside of you. You are called to be a part of a family. You are called into intimacy. God created it that way. The devil wants you to be an orphan and wants you isolated. Not just during the pandemic, in general. He wants you just cohabitating in a house. Or nobody in a house, just you by yourself. Just you, the cat lady, hoarding stuff. The enemy would love to do that to everyone on this planet. And the Father is trying to create opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you to be in intimacy with Him and with your siblings in the family of God and for us to be transparent together and to, uh, to quote Pastor Ryan Smith, to do life together. And that's what you're called to do. And we would like to invite you to come and do life with us. I want to show you an example of the enemy doing his greatest work in the life of an isolated person. If you have a Bible, 
please go to Mark chapter 5 if you do not have a Bible. Beloved Church will give you one. We'll give you a Bible app if you want to put it on your electronic device that you may be addicted to. We will give you a paper Bible, which is honestly better because it's less distracting looking at words on a page instead of words on a screen. But we want to make sure that you get this. Jesus Christ is the Word. You cannot have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ without knowing who He is and who He says you are. And both of those are going to be found in the Word. That doesn't necessarily take away from the prophetic or words of wisdom or gifts of the Spirit or anything like that. But the prophetic, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, all of those things work perfectly, congruently with the written Word of God. The Rhema and the Logos working together. In Mark chapter 5, we have a story of what's called the Gadarene demoniac. In verse 1, it says, And they came, they, talking about Jesus and the disciples, came over unto the other side of the Sea of Galilee into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. He lived with the dead. He lived with the dead. This is a special form of isolation. You might be thinking, well, I don't live in a cemetery. I'm not like this. Listen, people live with the dead in a bunch of ways today that are not necessarily just living in a cemetery. People live with the dead where they've idolized. Uh, when I was young, I used to idolize Kurt Cobain. I, I actually, just the other day, Kay and I were going through some pictures looking uh, for some stuff because uh, Andrew Womack Ministries wanted to do a, a video um, of one of our testimonies. And so we were going through all these pictures, and I seen a picture of Kay sitting in our first, in my bachelor pad, the first apartment that we ever had, and right behind her, bigger than life itself, huge, massive poster of Kurt Cobain, who at that time had already killed himself. Who already lost the fight of life. And here I had, bigger than life size poster of Kurt Cobain. So that I could live with the dead. Living with the dead is, is being so mentally engaged with, with TV, uh, TV shows, movies, movie, sh- movie shows, actors, actresses, movie stars, TV stars, uh, singers, performers. These people aren't even real. These are all fake people. They are paid to play a part. It's not who they are. And we fall in love with dead people. We live with the dead. And there's a lot of different ways that I could go about this, but this, this is normal in our society today. It is normal for us to basically insert us in a dead place 
surrounded by dead things. Dead people, dead words, dead opinions. You know, if anybody ever ever condemns you, makes you guilty, makes you feel shame, those are words of death. And for many people out there, you wake up in guilt, shame, and condemnation. You spend all day there and you lay your head down at night with words and feelings of guilt, shame, and condemnation. It's death all day. But those are not the words of your Father. He says He is well pleased with you. He loves you. And your value is infinite. That's life. Verse 3, Who had His dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind Him. I could preach on that, but I'm going to move on. And no man could bind Him. No, not with chains. Just, just real quick. If you think you're going to restrain death or misery in your life with some kind of natural restraints, if you think all you need is a hobby, if you think you just need to dump your current spouse and get you a hotter, younger model, if, if you think you need a sports car, if you just had $5 more an hour, if you think that there is something from the external that is going to restrain all this death and this misery in your life, if you just had more money, you are asking for chains. You are asking for bondage. He could not be bound. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. What this is saying is when you are under the influence of the demonic realm, there is no restraint to what, how deep and how devastating that that darkness can be in your life. There's no such thing as the bottom. You know, we, we say sometimes in the kingdom of God, you say, well, you just, you know, maybe one day this person will hit rock bottom and then they'll look up and they'll see Jesus. The problem with that is there's no such thing as bottom. It can always get worse. It can always get worse. Right now, in America, in the center of this pandemic, the suicide rate and the attempted suicide, the attempted and the rate together, added together, is up 309%. That's what happens in isolation. That's what happens. And if you're out there and you're promoting people to quarantine and to isolate, you may be sentencing someone to death. And you might want to rethink what you say to people. You might want to speak from liberty. And you might want to speak from freedom. Me personally... I'm trying to get people out of isolation. I'm trying to get people out of quarantine. I'm trying to put people into faith so that they understand that he who the sun sets free, praise God, is free indeed. Free indeed. Jesus created a way for you not to ever have to be in fear or worry 
about any sickness, any disease. I don't care how terrible the pandemic is. I don't care if there's a thousand that fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. It ain't coming near me. My Father's got me sheltered underneath His wings. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And unless it can get through Christ to get to me, it can't get to me. And I can assure you, nothing the devil's got can get through Christ. He tried that once, and Jesus done whooped his tailbone all over hell. One day I'm going to preach on that. We're going to have fun. And verse 5, it says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself. (laughs) Praise God. This is isolation. Crying, cutting himself with stones. It's become kind of hip in today's culture for folks to self-mutilate, self-hurt. And they think that it's something new. People have been self-hurting since there's been people. The enemy has been trying to convince people to self-hurt and self-kill since the first day he showed up on the scene. If you think that that cutters and and, and uh, people who consider suicide is is a new reality for our world today, it's been around since there's been evil. The devil hates you. He wants you to hurt yourself. He wants you to destroy yourself. This man was under the influence of demonic energy to the degree that he literally took stones and abused himself. That's a special kind of commitment to self-hurt. And if you're out there, and these are things that have gone through your heart and your mind, that there's no value in you and you need to hurt yourself or cut yourself or maybe even end it all. You have no idea. You have no idea how much you're worth. And I would be honored to come and tell you. Because to the Father... He was willing to trade Jesus for you. I don't know how much value you can put on the life of Jesus, but whatever that value system is, that's what the Father calls you in value. Amen. And I know I've I've dealt with and I've ministered with some folks that are cutters and and self-herders. And some of them I've seen set free, and some of them still struggle. But I do want to say this. This is demonic energy. It's not your father that's telling you that you're valueless or unworthy. It is this world and the God of this world, Satan, that's saying those things. It says in John chapter 10, Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. The voice of your good shepherd is leading you 
still waters, green pastures, and he tells you your value. The voice of the enemy is taking you into death, destruction, misery, and he tells you why you should be condemned, guilty, and shamed. Verse 6, but when he saw Jesus afar off, doesn't matter how far off you see Jesus, you can still get to him. He ran and worshipped him. Praise God. I don't care where you're at in life. I don't care if you've got, this guy had somewhere between 300 and 6,000 demons. I've read it in tons of commentaries and, and there's no exact science to this. But somewhere between 300 and 6,000 demons is what this fellow had working on the inside of him. And yet still, one look at Jesus and he was able to go and worship him. I don't care if every demon in hell is living on the inside of you. All you have to do is turn your gaze towards Jesus and you will be drawn into his love and have the ability to be set free without any problem. Without any problem whatsoever from God. You do not have to go through some process. You don't need, you don't need some, some sozo, uh, month long, six month long. You don't need, you don't need to go through tons and tons of, of counseling, you don't need therapy, you don't need all that. Jesus can set you free in a moment if you'll let him. Now, you might need some discipleship after that moment so you can learn what happened and you can grow and mature in it. But this, uh, what we have going on in our world, this whole deliverance ministry thing where they, they want to take you through these processes and all that, it is. Let me say this. It ain't in the Bible. It ain't there. And I can show you thousands of stories of people in the New Testament set free from things probably worse than most people out there are experiencing. I, if I was you, I'd just go with the Bible way. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. You just throw it all to Jesus. Everything you give him, he can handle. I assure you. I promise you. I don't care what you got. He can handle it. Verse 7, and he cried with a loud voice and he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? It's amazing that the demons really honestly have more faith in God than most of the Christians today. This demon was so convinced that Jesus was the son of the Most High God and that he could do anything he wanted that his initial response to Jesus was, please, <laughs> give me mercy. Can you imagine this, a demon asking Jesus for mercy? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. Here's what's interesting. This demon tried to use the name of God on God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it when you've read through this. Here's the, here's the personal application for us. Don't assume that everybody that comes to you in the name of God and everybody that says something to you in the name of God is actually working under the power of God. If you don't believe me, you can go look at my Facebook feed and go look at all of the threads on my Facebook feed. And there's a ton of folks on there that say that they're Christians that you can tell in a second, not so much. 
the enemy, the way that he manipulates good people in today's world is by convincing them that he's good. And the things that he wants to do in their life is good. Well, this is wisdom. It's wisdom to put on PPE, personal protective equipment and gloves and, and, and put flammable liquids all over your hands to burn off the germs and, and hide and isolate and potentially cause mental damage, potentially put people in suicidal situations. Um, if you care out there, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the child sexual and physical abuse just in the last six weeks has increased to affect 210,000 more U.S. children. If you think this pandemic is just about making people sick, then you don't know how the devil works. 210,000 more children are being physically and sexually abused right now because of this pandemic and because of the government's response to it. That should break your heart in a way that would make you rise up in intense action. That is not okay, beloved. We need to break the back of this isolation. This spirit said, I adjure you by God that you torment me not. You better do what I said because I said it in the name of God. Because <clears throat> Jesus, the reason is that he called out this way, verse 8, for he said unto him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Um, Jesus doesn't play around and goof off with the works of the enemy. He just deals with it and moves on. Verse 15 is where I'm going next. I'm skipping through the process of, of the demons leaving. They go, end up going into some pigs, and the pigs go, all go commit suicide. Again, proving that really, honestly, unrestrained demonic activity in a person's life is going to make them hurt themselves or destroy themselves. Verse 15 the townspeople came to Jesus, and then they saw the man that was possessed with the devil that had the legion of demons. He was sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. A guy is supernaturally set free, so much so that it immediately impacts his lifestyle. It impacts every aspect of his life. One encounter with Jesus can change everything in your life forever, in a moment. They were so, this man was so radically changed and impacted by his encounter with Jesus Christ that when all of the people that knew him showed up, they were literally freaked out. Man, I, let me say this real quick. We need more people to have these kind of encounters with Jesus. I, I, I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to just kind of come to church and slowly get into a, a Jesus culture. But man, I'm telling you, there is something about a person coming that realizes their entire life is jacked up and they throw themselves at worship, in worship at Jesus' feet and they let Jesus completely renovate and redo every part of their life. There is something to be said about a person that's humble 
and willing and meek enough to allow the Lord to recreate everything. That's my father. He's a creator. He wants to recreate everything. And they were afraid, verse 16, and they that saw it told them, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. They told the story about what happened and also concerning the swine. Verse 17, and they began to pray him. They prayed him. This is, the him is Jesus. They, the townspeople, prayed for Jesus to leave. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, like, well, I would never pray Jesus to leave. You know that uh, beloved church has, I'm, I'm getting more bold with this, we're about the .1 percenters in the body of Christ. And the reason I say that is because we actually believe and live in belief to the finished work of the cross. Some people might know what that is, and they might even be believing to get there, but we're actually there. I've been preaching it, teaching it, living it for eight and a half years in front of everybody, in front of God and man. Do I do it perfectly? Oh, God, new. Am I getting closer? Every day. We actually believe that the love of God is one of the most important things that has ever been revealed on this planet. And that God's kind of love will never fail. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. We believe that we're called to change a region, a country, eventually a world. We believe that the Holy Spirit is actually alive. Which, just so you know, about 80% of the church doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit is actually alive. Or he went and he's hiding in some ghost shack somewhere because they're concerned by what he does. The Holy Spirit is alive. God still does miracles today. His normal is supernatural. Supernatural means above the natural. That's God's normal. God's normal is supernatural. Man's normal is natural. The Holy Spirit is what brings man from normal to super. Everybody that's born again, that's filled with the super, filled with the super, filled with the Spirit of God, you've become a superhuman. It, it's kind of cool to say that because most people are drawn to those kind of movies. Superhuman movies. <clears throat> You're actually that person. Well, I can't fly like so-and-so. Well, be it unto you according to what you believe. Well, I can't. I can't heal people. Be it unto you according to what you believe. Jesus literally commanded us to heal people. He literally commanded the same guy that commands all men everywhere to repent and receive the gospel is the same man that commanded us to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. Uh, in case you're wondering how that happens, it ain't going to happen because you're a really cool human. It's going to happen because there's supernatural power flowing through your humanity. Albeit Jesus suffered him, oh, I'm sorry, 
And they began to pray him, pray for Jesus to leave. A lot of the church rejects the real, legitimate, powerful, supernatural, and atoning person of Jesus Christ. They, in a way, they basically pray him to leave. We're not praying him to leave. We're trying to become just like him. Amen. (laughs) I want him to be closer, not farther away. Verse 18, and when he was come into, Jesus got into the ship. Uh, I want you to see something. Like when these people asked Jesus to leave, what did he do? He left. If people reject Jesus, he doesn't stay there and, and beg them and, and, and cry and, and moan and groan and please, you don't know, I'm really a good guy. Like if you don't want Jesus around, he will give you what you want. Mankind has free will. Draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. The opposite of that is true. If you walk away from him, he doesn't want you to. He doesn't desire you to. He actually paid for you not to. But he will not force himself upon any. Jesus Christ is a gentleman. He will not force himself into anyone's heart. He will not demand or command love out of you honor out of you, obedience out of you. That's not who he is. It's his goodness that draws men to repentance. It's his love that compels people to do things for him. I serve Jesus out of love and honor and value and awe. I don't serve him because he commanded me to. So Jesus got into the ship. And he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. So the guy that was set free from the demonic powers that had gripped his entire life was asking Jesus if he could come, live with him, be in the boat. You know, you would think like this would be, yeah, amen. You know, if Jesus was the average pastor today. And someone came in and they had their lives absolutely wrecked in a good way by the power and the love and the goodness of God. You know, that most likely that guy would hop up and say, Pastor, put me to work. Put me in everything. I want to be in kids' church. I want to be in the nursery. I want to clean the church. I want to cut the grass. I want everything you got. Well, I want it all. And, you know, here's what's amazing. Jesus was so wise that he said no. Uh, in other words, he's not like the average pastor today. He actually wanted this man to mature. He actually wanted this man to grow up, specifically to grow up in his testimony. And to learn a way to minister that testimony to other people's lives. He, Jesus wasn't, once you are... Once you're born again, once you're filled with God, God can't leave you. So it's a little bit different in this situation. So even though Jesus physically left this man, there's still the New Testament, the the uh, the born above reality that you and I, um, even though Jesus might not immediately put us into intimate ministry with him, he doesn't leave us. You know, like Jesus kind of left in the boat this fella. But with us, it's more like, hey, why don't you just sit? Why don't you grow into these things? 
Why don't you go do some simple stuff? Just go do the Great Commission. Those of you out there that are desiring to be in, in a real legitimate destiny, a divine destiny, the best way you can get from today into the center of God's will for your life, a.k.a. divine destiny, is the Great Commission. That's the best way. Tell your neighbors about the good news of Jesus Christ. Lay hands on the sick. Cast out demons. Go into all your world. Preach everything that moves and everything that doesn't. You, you start in the, in the foundational things that God's called us to do. Love God. Love your neighbor. These things, it will, it will naturally and easily lead you into the center of the destiny that God has created you for. Howbeit Jesus suffered, verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go. Go home and to thy friends and tell them how great the things the Lord has done for you. And, and how God had compassion on you. You know, one of the effects of the compassion of God is to free us from demonic activity. Verse 20, And he departed and began to publish. So he listened. He actually did it. This is how Jesus is a better pastor than me. Sometimes when I tell people what they should do, they don't do it. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. I would be remiss if I did not say that in Philemon 1.6, it says that the, that the working, the the outflow of our faith becomes effective by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in us, in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't go do witnessing. You don't go do testimony telling. You don't go doing preaching the gospel. You actually, you actually are these things. Jesus said in Acts 1, <clears throat> it says that when the Holy Spirit comes... He will make you a witness. Didn't say he will make you go witness. Doesn't say that he'll give you words for witnessing. He'll actually make you. You don't go witnessing. You don't go preaching. You are. It, it's your DNA. It's your identity. It's who you are. You are a witness. If you just tell people the good things that God has done in your life, just say, so you know, people probably want it. People probably want it. Now, something I want to point out real quick. Matthew 8.28, which is the exact same story told by Matthew. The exact same story just told by Matthew. In Matthew 8, when Matthew tells this story, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so they're both right, so it's not like one's right, one's wrong, Matthew gives us a really important cue as to something that was going on that we didn't see in Luke's, um, in Luke's epistle, or in Mark's epistle. In verse 28 of Matthew 8, it says, And when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, <clears throat> it's the same place, it's the same story. Matthew calls it Gergesenes, and uh, Mark, and I think both Luke, calls it Gadarene. 
The reason is, is Gadarene was one major town <coughs> in the Decapolis area, and Gergesi was another major town, and because they landed in between the towns, basically Matthew alluded to this town, and uh, Mark and Luke alluded to a different town. So when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Two. This is a really important piece of information. There was two people that were demonically affected in basically the same way. I can tell you this. There is nowhere that I can find in any scripture that ever says that the other person was set free. They both had the exact same opportunity. They both met the same Jesus. They both came out and interacted with Jesus. All I can tell is that one was set free and one continued in bondage. Why is this important? Because one chose to remove himself from isolation. And one chose to stay. Now, I want you to think about this. Both of these guys were so demonically tormented that they cut themselves, that they lived naked, filthy, bleeding. They slept in tombs with corpses. They were... They were under such supernatural power that even when the townspeople came out and chained them up, they just broke the chains with supernatural energy. It says they screamed and cried out night and day. This is a level of torture and torment that most of us can't even literally wrap our brains around. And yet one of them chose the torment over the freedom that was provided for Jesus. One of the reasons I highlight this is because people reject good things all the time. Don't assume that just because someone presents you good news, the gospel, or an opportunity that the kingdom might make available in your life, don't, don't assume that just because you believe that it's really a God thing that you might take it. This is a a glaring example of two people that were presented the exact same freedom, the exact same power, the exact same love of God, goodness of God, person of God in Jesus, one accepted, one rejected. He chose torment. Torment. Naked, bleeding, painful, screaming, Demonic torment. He chose that over changing his life. And I think in a, in a microcosm kind of way, a lot of folks, even in the church, choose this. They choose what they're familiar with. Even though it's painful. Even though it's wrong. Even though it might be destroying them. Destroying their marriage. Destroying their hearts. Destroying their futures. They might still choose it because it's familiar. It's, 
It's comfortable. It's where you've always been. It's what you've always done. It's what you've always thought. I can't believe you said that stupid thing about the sovereignty of God preacher. All my preachers have taught me about the sovereignty of God. Here you come and you say the sovereignty of God is wrong. You're, you're a jerk and I hate you and I'm going to isolate in my sovereignty of God belief system instead of creating an opportunity for Jesus to show up and you to fall at His feet and worship Him and Him to set you free. And I, I could play this out in a thousand different ways with a thousand different dynamics. Believe it or not, it is actually more normal in our humanity to stay in our misery, to stay in our pain, to stay in our torment, than to literally do what it takes. Do what it takes. Not pray, not hope, not desire, not... Tell our friends we really want it, but we know we don't. I mean, actually do the things that is going to pull us out of isolation and put us into the family of God. In transparency, and joy, and peace, and love. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of whatever area of isolation you might be in right now. I'm calling you out calling you out. You don't belong in a prison whether man made it or whether you made it. You don't belong in slavery to this world, to sin, to addiction, to misery, to Satan, or even to the United States government. You are not a slave. You are free. And I'm calling you into freedom. The kingdom of God expands through revelation and relationship. One without the other will constrict your opportunity at kingdom growth. The kingdom of God expands in your life directly through revelation and relationship. Revelation and relationship. Many that are listening to me, there are areas of your life in isolation or maybe the entirety of your life is in isolation right now. And there's two ways that you get into isolation. You can get into isolation by choice or by force. By choice or by force. This world would love to force you into isolation. They're doing it right now. The government's literally commanding people to isolate. It is demonic. It is demonic. But the government's telling you that it's the right thing. The lo- Here's how the government gets away with it. The loving thing to do is quarantine. It's love to quarantine. The Bible calls it hatred. So you either need to believe the government and call it love and quarantine. And by the way, that means that it's love Forever. It's not just love during a pandemic. It's love forever. Quarantining is loving forever. If you believe what they're telling you, then you better quarantine for the rest of your life. Because that's what love is. Or, it's actual hatred. And it's causing people, it's causing 
things like drug abuse and alcohol abuse to skyrocket. It's causing uh, pornography addictions to skyrocket. It's causing 210,000 more children to be sexually and physically abused. It's causing a 309% rise in attempted and actual suicides. The murder-suicide rate has doubled 102% higher than it was six, six weeks ago. I can go on and on and on. This is not a good thing. Isolation is demonic. Intimacy is what the kingdom of God is about. Genesis 2.18 The Lord God. In case you don't know Lord God, that means like the smartest, most intelligent, most wise being in the entire universe said. It's important to hear what the smartest entity, wisest entity in the entire world says. You know what he says? It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Government says it's good for man to be alone. God says it's not good for man to be alone. Now let's take this a step further. He was talking to Adam. Let me give you a day in the life of Adam. And who knows how many days this were. It could have been a million. It could have been ten. I don't know. But this is a day in the life of Adam. I don't know if he needed sleep. He was, he was a very perfectly put together human being. He was not affected by sin. Adam had no temptation. None. I don't know if you can wrap your brain around that, but he had zero temptation to do anything wrong ever. No thought of anything wrong ever. Adam did not have to worry about going to work. Everything was supernaturally provided for him forever. If he got hungry, there was more than enough. And I'll guarantee you his bananas probably tasted a billion times better than our bananas. He had companionship. He had literally every single animal ever made that would come to him anytime he needed them to. He had perfect weather. He didn't have to wear itchy clothes and underwear like we do. He got to walk around completely naked and unashamed. I mean, just think about that great part. Hold on, um, I need to get back. Because that's, that's a great part. I can't wait for that part. He had, um, he had intimacy with the Father. He literally, every single night, he had a date with Dad. Every night. Every night he had a date with Dad. He walked and talked with Dad. Every night. If there's some other things I could speculate to, like, for example, Jesus had the angels come and minister to him on multiple occasions. I don't doubt at all that Adam had friends of angels. I want you to think, like, Adam, if you could imagine the most perfect life, the most perfect environment, the most perfect everything, Adam's actual existence was a thousand times better than that. Whatever you can imagine, his, his reality was a thousand times better. And God said, it's not good. It's not good for Adam to be alone. Now listen, 
Adam had the greatest pets. Adam had God. Think about this, beloved. How many people I've heard, maybe you've heard them too, all I need is Jesus. I don't need no church. I don't need none of them Christian people. They're all this and that. I don't need no, no, no kids, no spouse, no nobody. I don't need no preacher, pastor. Those pastors, all they want is your money. Adam had God. And the Father said, it is not good. And I don't know if that drills down into you the way it does to me. But that tells me that there is something that's really, really important in the church. Really, really important in the family of God. And if you ain't got it, the Father calls that alone. And it's not good. Let me give you real quick the story of Adam, the second Adam. So the first Adam, who was alone, God's solution was he put the first man supernaturally asleep. While the first man was supernaturally asleep, God took a rib from him. And from the rib, he made a woman. Now, a lot of people think that what he did was he took a rib and then he built a woman around it. That's not true. He actually took from the rib and built the woman out of the rib. She came from the rib. In other words, she came from he. Her came from him. He took her out of him and built her out of him. That's another thing, too. When God said Adam was alone, she was in he. He still had Eve in her. He just didn't have a way to interact with her. This is those people that say, well, I'm part of the universal church and I don't have to actually be a part of people's lives. I don't need all of that because I'm part of the universal church. No, that would be like her being in him. God actually took her out of him so that they could have intimacy, so that they could interact, so they could physically touch, so they could physically speak to each other. God called that not alone. The former version is alone. So God took her out of him and built her for him and then brought her back to him. And they became one in the same way they were one before, but in a better way. Now, I know I did that fast, and you're probably going to have to watch this again to follow me because here's where I'm going. At the crucifixion, the last Adam was supernaturally put to sleep on the cross. The soldiers jammed a spear into his side and opened up his side. And the father took out a rib. And from that rib, he formed her. And her name is the church. He built her specifically for him. The bride, the church, is built specifically for him. And he's bringing her back to him. Her, all of us, together in unity. Doing life together. Intimately being together. The Father has worked the the last Adam and the first Adam in the same parallel. 
We were even conceived by blood and water. We are washed in His blood and we are conceived by the washing of the water of His Word. And you can also say that we came from the water of the womb of our mother and we also came from the blood of the Father of our Father God. We are brought together. All of the church came together and became what God had formed from that rib on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the church was formed. The rib that the Father took out of Jesus on the cross, 50 days later, He built a bride. And her name is the church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, this is Jesus, Jesus was being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of God, which He said, You heard of Me. Jesus spoke these words while He was assembled with them. Here's one of the truths that you're going to find in the Scriptures. Jesus has a personal, intimate relationship with every single person that calls on His name and is willing to do that. And you can do that from your car, from your closet, from your bedroom, all by yourself, all by your lonesome. And that personal, intimate relationship that he has with you is for you. But he also calls an assembly. And the reason that he calls the relationship of the assembly is so that we can go out there and change that. Intimacy changes you, and the outflow of intimacy creates relationship that changes the world. God came to save you, and God came to save the world. God came to save you, intimacy, and God came to save the world. Relationship, assembly, church. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together... They asked Him, Jesus, again, when they assembled, there was something specifically that the Lord said to them and then gave them the understanding that they were going to receive the power of God. Verse 13, And when they were come in, they went into an upper room and they ab- where abode. Peter lived in the upper room. James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas and James all lived in the upper room. Now, what if I told you that part of what you're called to be in the church is what they had, which is 12 of you live together. How many Christians would we lose? Well, I might love some of my neighbor, but I ain't living with them. Verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. This is actually real. We can live this way. We can actually live together. And learn to love and fall deeper in love with each other instead of being irritated and fall farther out of love with each other. Verse 15, In those days Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. They actually had 120 folks that lived in that upper room. That'll mess with you. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one 
accord in one place. I've thought about this a lot, and I'm not going to try to kick a dead horse, but I'll say this. That if the Lord wanted to do something as radical in today's world as He did in their world, i.e., giving the Holy Spirit to humanity, you realize He couldn't get 120 people to come together in one heart, in one accord, and in unity? <laughs> Amen. There's times that I've, I've asked, I've literally, personally have asked people to come together so that we could do something really important here at Beloved Church. And I won't tell you what some of the excuses were, but if I did, you might be disappointed. These folks were living together for 50 days in a room, 120 of them, because they were expecting something powerful to happen to them because they're Lord and their Savior told them so. First John chapter 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. You cannot give what you don't have. And this is why the church struggles in intimacy. Because many of us don't really have it to give. You've got to have it if you want to give it. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I'm letting that sit on purpose. You cannot hate a believer and say you love God at the same time. Now look, you, people have, have struggled with this and wrestled with this and tried to pick this apart and, and done all kinds. I've, I've read them. I've read those people that are really easy to just judge and condemn another brother, another sister in the Lord, and just drop bombs. I've been cussed out by Christians. I've had people say that God has literally told them to quit our church because I'm an evil person, I'm a cult leader, I'm a this, I'm a that. These are people that say they love God and hate me or hate another brother, or hate another sister. And I'll say this, the Bible specifically says it cannot happen. You're either living in hatred, or you're living in love. Specifically, for he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The word seen means to become acquainted with by experience, or to experience. This isn't talking about, well, I love all them good little brother Christians over in the Philippines. They're all wonderful people, I'm sure. They're amazing Christians. I pray for them every day. No, this is talking like that guy that goes to church with you that does that irritating thing. This is talking about your spouse, your children, your parents. This is talking about your neighbors, your friends that say that they're Christians. These are people that you have experience with. If your experience with others makes you be irritated at them, hate them, and have problems with them, then you are not allowing God's kind of love to flow. Because your experience with people should be drawing you closer and closer 
and closer the Spirit of God in them, drawing the Spirit of God in you. God is love. And when you get out of love, or you change the definition of it, you get out of God. God is love. If you get out of love, you're getting out of God. If you change the definition of love, then you've called God something that He ain't. I'm saying all this to say, because by now, the only people that are watching this are people that care. Next week, we're opening the church. Beloved church is going to be an intimate, non-isolated, together, Konania congregation next week. Are you required to come? You have never been required to come before. You'll never be required to come in the future. If you're scared and you don't know what the fallout might be about you coming, I'll tell you this. You have permission from us, from everybody in Beloved, for you and the Father to work out the salvation that's working in you with fear and trembling. If you're, if you're concerned about what might happen or what might not happen or whatever, all those things, you are free to be led by the Holy Spirit on how you're going to work that out. But here's the reality. I know that there are some people that deeply desire to be in intimacy in this room, to experience the grace that takes place in this room, to be a part of doing life together with one another. And it is no longer okay for those folks to not have what the Constitution of the United States has guaranteed for them to have and what the Creator of heaven and earth has given them salvation for. Galatians 5.1 says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. I'm not going to be bound by any man or any government system. So I'm here to take. Next week, beloved church, May 3rd is going to be here and live, and real, which means that this is the last Facebook Live that you might ever see, because we're going to be doing live church, not Facebook Live. That doesn't mean that we're not going to record the message, and all you folks that are out there, because I know there's a ton of you that are in other countries and other states and all that, and you love hearing what we're doing and and listening to to my twangy voice. God bless you. And you're still going to have that. We have a YouTube channel. You can subscribe. You can get all these messages. They'll show up. But the way that you're going to do church with us is right here, flesh and blood, cheek to cheek, hand to hand, heart to heart. It's been a long time coming. And I'm happy to make this announcement. All right, so I would like to bless you. So please stand. This is the universal sign that I'm ready to receive. And these words carry power. They carry ability. And I'm, I am literally going to picture your heart. And I'm going to release the words of the Father, the desires of the Father, directly into the center of your heart. And I'm believing that these things are going to have a radical change available to you. The Father calls you beloved. Beloved, the 
Father desires above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow your soul to prosper. I declare this over you now in Jesus' name, directly in accordance to 3 John verse 2. I say it in the name and under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord of all of heaven and earth. If you receive it, close your hands, put it in your heart, and say amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing. I love you, and I'll see you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.